just moving along, getting ready for our teaching today. Uh, if you've missed the last three weeks of, uh, of what's been going on here at the church, we encourage you guys to get online and uh, listen to the teachings. Uh, the last, uh, you know, everything in the last year and a half has kind of been leading up to this point in our church, you know, the, the spirit of the Lord moving. About three weeks ago, we rolled out to the church uh, our vision statement, which we have... Um, painted on the wall in the back and we need to get some lights to be able to see the upper half of that 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 light there kind of kind of blocks some of it uh but you know the the vision statement is essentially our uh, our purpose our justification for being a church in this town uh and if you haven't heard it in a while it is that uh we exist to uh, make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Uh, that's our purpose here as a church. So everything we do as a church comes underneath that vision. Uh, then we rolled out to the church our mission statement, which is essentially how are we going to do that? And we scanned the book of, book of Acts in one Sunday, went through the whole book of Acts and, and just pointed out things that were the, the mission statement of the early church. And we want that to be our mission here at Calvary Chapel and all of these things, we've seen the leading of the Lord in the last uh, year and a half nearly has led us down as a church to really ask, how are we going to do this? You know, Lord, uh, what do all of these things we've been learning in the church series, what do they beg? What do they imply? Uh, what, what are they calling us to? And we've seen that, that there's, there's definition that's needed. There's a defining the relationship within our church. And so uh, as the five elders, we have been led in the last year and a half through prayer through fasting, believing that it's the leading of the Spirit and in the scriptures that are leading us this way, is that uh, we are <clears throat> moving towards a covenant membership as a church. Uh, and so last week, uh, if you missed last week, I just beg of you to listen, to get online, and, uh, and to humbly listen to the direction the Lord is leading us in this. Um, you know, a lot of times what happens when something new is brought before us, you know, it might be mentioned from the pulpit and then we kind of go into tunnel vision and we don't hear anything. And, uh, and so I would encourage you, even if you were here last week, uh, to consider even listening to the message again. Um, I had to edit the sermon a little bit and, and many of the questions that we've been getting, they were addressed in the message. You know, there's a lot to address that it's hard to do in 50 minutes. And so um, we're going to be having on these Wednesday nights for about probably the next three or four weeks, kind of a question and answer time, an open family forum. We're going to do a little bit of studying in the word. And just like we've had on these Wednesday nights, it's just a place where you can come and our hearts are open to you. Your hearts can be open to us. And we want to walk through this with you guys. Uh, we understand that this is new and that it's maybe a struggle for some of you to walk through. Um, you know, it's taken us elders about you know, months and months of discussion and looking in the scripture and studying and praying uh, to come to where we firmly believe that the spirit of God is leading us because of the grace of God and because of the gospel. And so uh, we, you know, you guys have been so patient with us in this, and we want you to know that in this, we are patient with you. We don't expect everybody to just be like, woohoo, and we don't want you to just be, you know, blindly follow um, and so, you know, we just want you to know we're going to be patient in working through this covenant membership with you guys. Uh, we want to have times of just a safe, open forum to be able to discuss. As you listen to the teachings and as you've perhaps gotten a, a paper copy, I think we've still got some paper copies of a sample draft. This is just a sample so you can have some idea of what a covenant membership might look like. That's available both on our church website and out in the foyer. And as you go through that, please, our, we would just beg of you to humbly read through it, prayerfully read through it, have your Bible there with you, and open up to every reference of the scripture there, okay? And then as we would come with questions, we want these questions to be based upon scripture, not matter of just opinion, okay? And, and that's our, as elders, we don't come with just opinion. We, we come with the scripture, okay? So, uh, we want to make that available. So uh, we, would, we would just really encourage, you know, if, this, if you call this your home, if this is your faith family, if this is where you've been, uh, to come out these Wednesday nights. Make the time to come and to be a part of these 
um, these discussions and these learning times. Um, uh, the next couple weeks are going to be us defining our statement of faith, uh, sharing the doctrine that this church believes in. These are things that um, are some of them closed-handed issues, which mean they are they are truths that we will never let go of. We will die on these hills. Okay. Uh, then there's things that are more open-handed issues that are just they're called theological distinctives. And uh, they're just, you know, if you come to this church, this is what you're going to be taught. We recognize that there's other Jesus-loving churches out there that maybe hold a different opinion, but this is what you're going to get here. And over the next three weeks, we're going to do a statement of faith study. On the fourth week, we're going to roll out the final draft of the covenant. We're going to go through it with you. We're going to go through the scriptures with you saying this is why we've landed where we've landed. And in that whole time, Opportunity for discussion on Wednesday nights, opportunity for learning, opportunity to hear where we've come from as elders in looking at the scripture, uh, <clears throat> hearing from the Lord through much prayer and fasting. And then just to encourage you guys, as we're encouraged to, we're looking forward to the new year. Uh, we believe that by, you know, the first of January, we're going to be back just going verse by verse through the scripture. Uh, we're going to be back in core groups at the first of the year. We're going to be back in 242 groups. We're going to be moving forward in this whole time, patient with you guys as you're patient with us, as we're just being led by the Lord through the word. We, you know, we're giving, we're giving you guys months and time just time to think, time to look in the word, time to talk, time to grow. Um, but that's just a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at in the next few months. So all of this, we encourage you guys to come through with prayer and with humility and with teachable hearts. Um, something that's so neat that God has done in, in our community here at the church is that we've got five elders here at this church and almost every one of us is from a different background denominationally or from a different movement you know, and there's a lot of opportunity for divisiveness there. There's a lot of opportunity for, you know, pride in our own methodology or our own opinion. But by the spirit of God, and as we just walk through with humility and laying our lives down before the word of God, God has brought us to unity together as five elders. And so we trust, we move forward in this just with trust that as we all come, teachable hearts, willing to learn, willing to grow, that God is going to knit us together as a church in unity, okay? Okay, so uh, special, these next few weeks will be special as well because you're gonna get to hear from some of the different elders uh, given opportunities for teaching. And so Chad is gonna share the first study in our statement of faith uh, this morning. So come on up, Chad. Yeah, there's a water Well, good morning, you guys. I was sitting in the back and realized that uh, I forgot to preemptive, preemptively remove the uh, pulpit extender uh, that makes it taller. And so <laughs> I feel like I'm <laughs> to take care of that for next service. <laughs> um, one other quick thing that, uh, that didn't get mentioned uh, that maybe should be. Uh, is that uh, Rory and Lindsay are about to have a baby. So it was one of the other reasons we thought maybe we should just cover the next few weeks uh, as elders just to, to take that pressure off of them. So I just wanted to mention that so you guys could just be in prayer for them and their family as they welcome a new little bundle of joy, uh, probably this week, right? So, uh, yeah, so I'm sure they would appreciate any, any prayers that you guys have. So uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into it. God, so thankful for today and thankful uh, for this local fellowship of believers at Calvary Chapel of Crook County here in Prineville. Uh, God, just excited to, to be a part of what you're doing. Uh, excited, God, that we get to be a part of it uh, together as, as a family of faith. Uh, excited uh, just to, to know that we're moving in a direction uh, to which you've called us. And so just would be prayerful today as we have been in the last several weeks and will continue to be. Uh, God, that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us and that you would continue to lead us and guide us and that you would continue to show us exactly how it is that you've called us to live, uh, that you would continue to show us uh, those things which you would have us do, that you would continue to provide uh, direction and guidance uh, in all things. And God, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I get the privilege of standing up here today. Some, some of you may or, or may not 
know this, but uh, but I've been a, been one of the pastors here since uh, 2006, and was one of the first uh, group uh, of pastors, and and uh, I've had the privilege uh, during that time just to to see God's plan for our church uh, develop uh, and unfold. I've got to see uh, people come and go. I've got to see. Uh, faithful men uh, who God has raised up uh, to lead this fellowship. I've got to witness uh, pastoral transition. I've got to see God uh, shift uh, and and reveal to us uh, just more and more uh, with clarity what the scriptures say and how the scriptures call us to live. We used to function uh, years back under a, a model where we had a senior pastor who was kind of overall, and it was just kind of thought that that guy hears from God more than anyone else, and, and God and his faithfulness has opened our eyes to uh, just the, the scriptural calling of a plurality of elders in, in a church, and I've got to be uh, a part of that. I've got to be a part of that uh, evolution, and I've got to just continually witness God's grace and his faithfulness to us uh, as we journey Together and, and some of you have been a part of those things. Some of you have been here for a number of years. Uh, some of you are, are newer and, and haven't you know, don't have that kind of history here, and that's okay. And it's all it's all good. Uh, you know, just have to believe that that God uh, is bringing people here at our fellowship together in, in His timing. Whether you've been here a long time or just a little while, and that, that God in His grace allows us to walk and to live together, and that as we do this together that God faithfully uh, continues to bring clarity, to bring definition to who we are and how he's called us to live. God continues to, to use all of this to shape and to form who we are. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that Roy talked about is just the five of us coming from different backgrounds uh, and, and just how incredible it has been um, just the fact that we can move forward in, in unity. It's not a small thing, and I think we all some days are just really amazed uh, just at what God has done, and it hasn't always been that way. Uh, if we rewind the clock not that long ago, four, four or five years ago, uh, there, there was not the unity that there is today, and, and we uh, wrestled uh, it was back in the days when it was just Kevin and, and Rory and I before Aaron and Blaine uh, became a part of the eldership, there were some things that we really wrestled through in uh, some moments that I would say were probably a bit touch and go. And I just stand up here and share that with you just because uh, it's been incredible to see, again, God just in his faithfulness and in his grace to us uh, to allow us to, to wrestle through scripture, to wrestle through his word, uh, and to come out on the other side of it with great clarity and great unity as to how he's called us to live and who he's called us to be uh, as believers. Our, our church, as many of you know, has been in existence since 2002, and so we're about 12 years into the work that God started back in 2002. And for the first time, maybe that's not fair, maybe not for the first time, but with as great of clarity as there has ever been, I think, in the history of, uh, of our fellowship, God is just leading us and allowing us to define who we are and to define what we're about and to define how we live and to define very specifically how he has called us to live and to breathe and to move. And so last week we presented to you this idea uh, of covenant membership and many people, it was hunting season, just timing, a lot of people weren't here. And so just I would also uh, just encourage you, as Rory did, if you were not here, that you would take some time to listen uh, online to uh, that teaching, because I think it will help in, in bringing some clarity. But what I wanted to do today, before we really get into unpacking our statement of faith, uh, is just to set the stage uh, a little bit with some of the things that we've been rolling out to you, just in terms of vision and mission and who we are and, and some of those kinds of things. Uh, really, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're not trying to assemble a role. We're not trying to assemble a list uh, at all. What, what we're really trying to do in, in all of this, and even just in articulating a vision statement, articulating a mission statement, articulating a statement of faith, 
uh, articulating what it means to, to be a member of a fellowship, we, we really just want to bring uh, definition and clarity to who we are. God has, has given us a mission. He's given us a, a collective mission as, as his church, as the, the universal church. But even more so, God has given us a mission as a local fellowship. And, and so what we have endeavored to do in this is to really, as I've said, to bring clarity and to bring definition as to what those things are uh, and what those things uh, entail. And this is, like I said, per, perhaps we've not done this to this great of a degree in, in the history uh, of our fellowship. So it really is a special time because um, we are getting very specific with defining how God has called us to live, uh, what God has called us to do. And then we're just simply asking are you in? Are you in with who God has called us to be collectively? Are you in with the mission of God that he has given to his church universal, but his church local uh, as well? As we endeavor to define and clarify this, this allows us to move forward with great intentionality. And, and you know, hopefully as well as I do, uh, if you've been a believer for any amount of time that the Christian life doesn't happen by default. It doesn't happen by accident. Uh, just a quick scan through scripture of how God calls us to live. It's not easy. When, when we're told to love our enemies, perhaps one of the hardest things I think that anybody can do, that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. It doesn't just automatically happen the day that I say, okay, I'm a Christian. We don't just start loving our enemies. When the Bible calls us to, to give to the person that takes from us, to give them more, that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. It requires intentionality. And in order for us to have intentionality, we have to bring definition and clarity to who God has called us to be and how he's called us to live. And, and I can stand up here and say to you today that I don't think that there's anything else in life to do except for to follow Jesus. Everything that we do in life, everything should be a means to that end. Our jobs are a means to an end as we follow Christ. Our hobbies are a means to an end as we follow Christ. Our education, our possessions, our intellect, our abilities, all of those things are a means to an end that, that allow us to follow Christ. And then in all of those things that we would make much of God, we talk a lot here about living for the glory of God and that all we do would glorify God. And I believe that. I believe that very firmly. And so everything in my life, everything in your life, God would call us that, that our lives would be a means to that end, that we would glorify him. And so in order for us to do that, like I said, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. It requires great intentionality, and intentionality requires definition and clarity. So just know that as we are moving in a direction, that, that this is what's behind where we're going. And so there's been a process that's been unfolding, and, and Roy said many months. It's probably been three to four years that this has been a, an ongoing discussion, uh, an ongoing wrestle with scripture, an ongoing uh, prayer and fasting and thought and study and searching. And God in his grace, God in his faithfulness has brought us to where we are. And so this process uh, in it, we, we've asked really four, four questions uh, of ourselves, and then God has allowed us to bring answers to those questions. But one of those questions that we ask is, is why do we exist? Why is it that we exist? We need to define why we exist so we know, so we know how to live. Uh, the second question is, who are we? So, so not only why, why do we exist, but, but who are we as believers? Who are we as a local fellowship? Who are we as we fit into the church universal. 
Another question is, how do we live? So, so what is it that, that God would, would have us do? And the fourth question is, what do we believe? And so as we bring answers to these questions, I, I hope, I think, and I hope that, that you'll find that, that these will be very defining and very clarifying and that they will bring context to everything that we do. And so to answer those four questions, we've developed four statements that answer those. And so the first thing that we developed was our vision statement, and that answers the question of why we exist. We've developed a mission statement, and that answers the question of who we are. We've developed a values statement, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, which answers the question, how do we live? And we've developed a faith statement that answers the question, what do we believe? And so it's important to know that as we've carefully, thoughtfully, and prayerfully articulated these things, that that these things now bring the context, as I said, to everything that we do and that they inform the way that we teach, the way that we preach, the way that we pray, the way that we discipline, the way that we counsel. All of these things are, will serve and, and do serve as a framework in which we can operate as a fellowship of believers. And so this has been articulated, but I just want to articulate again our, our mission statement and, and just say, our vision statement, I'm sorry, and say a couple of things. Our, our vision statement says this, that we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. This is life. This is the life that God has, has called every believer to. Our sole purpose for existence is that we would make much of God and that as we make much of God, that we would make disciples who make much of God and that we would do that everywhere we go and in everything we do throughout the world. And having this phrase sent out in there speaks of intentionality, the intentionality behind it, because this too doesn't happen by accident. This doesn't happen by default. If, if we exist for the purpose of making disciples everywhere we go and in all that we do, it requires some intentionality. And so one of our roles as a fellowship is that we would send people and that could mean across the ocean, that could mean across the street, that could mean down the road, that could mean to your workplace, anywhere and everywhere that we exist to, to proclaim and embody. So we, we speak and we live the gospel. And as we do that, much is made of God, that God is glorified in all that we do. And, and again, I just stand here to say that th this is life. This is the life that God has called you to. This is the life that God has called us to, is that we would live in this manner. And so as we go about our jobs, as we go about our kids' activities, as we go about our hobbies, as we do the things that we do, that this is the context, this is the framework for all of it. So whether you hop on a plane and go to Nepal or whether you just go to work tomorrow morning, this is our purpose for living. And so this answers the question, why do we exist? We answer that question, who we are, with our mission statement. And I want to read that to you guys as well. It's a little bit longer and we don't have this painted on the wall. But it says this, as redeemed followers of Jesus Christ, the members of Calvary Chapel of Crook County regularly gather under the authority of the Christ-centered word and in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to purposefully love God and each other while boldly evangelizing the world as the truth of the gospel defines who we are and how we live. And so we see a number of, of things here is that, that who are we? We're a group of redeemed followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that apart from Christ, that we're, we're God's enemy, and that apart from Christ, we're, we're on a path, we're on a course, along with the rest of the world that leads to death. But as we come 
to Christ as he grants us faith and we, we come to him that he redeems our life. And we're no longer on the same course as the rest of the world that leads to death, but we're now on a course that leads to life and on a course that leads others to life. And one of the ways that this is accomplished is that we, that we regularly gather. And so what makes our gatherings different than the gatherings of any other clubs that, that may be out there? is that we gather under the authority of the Christ-centered word and that we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that should tell you that this is not a social club. There, there's certainly a social aspect to what we do, but it's not our purpose for gathering. Our purpose for gathering on a Sunday morning goes beyond just showing up to see how each other's week has been. It goes beyond that. We, we don't need the Christ-centered word. We don't need the Holy Spirit if that's all that we're going to do. But it goes on to talk about that we would love God and that we would love each other. And we do need the Christ-centered word and the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Because if you're like me, there are probably some days that you show up here and you just you don't want to love each other. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe somebody's rubbed you the wrong way, Whatever. Some days we're not feeling it, right? And so we need the authority of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit to love God and to love each other because that's, it's just hard some days. Let's be real about that. It's hard. And that word purposefully is in there. And again, just another way to say intentionally, right? This requires great intentionality to do this. And that as we purposefully gather, as we love God, as we love one another, that we would boldly evangelize the world. That we have a message. And it's God's plan that his message would be delivered by us, his messengers. The Bible tells us that. It's God's plan. And so we engage. We engage in God's plan of boldly evangelizing the world. And while we do that, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, the truth of the authoritative Christ-centered word defines who we are and how we live. How many times, this is a rhetorical question, but how many times do we, do we go to scripture trying to justify our own thoughts or trying to justify the way that we live? We, we all do it. We've all done it. I've done it. And the way that God would have us live is, is not bringing our own presuppositions to the word and, and, and trying, to, trying to figure out how we can get away with whatever it is that we want to get away with if we can just find, a, find some kind of a reference that says this is okay. But rather that we would allow the gospel, that we would allow the Christ-centered word to dictate and to define how we live. And you know as well as I do that there, there are some hard things in the Bible. The Bible calls us to live in a way that's counterintuitive, that's countercultural. And so again, it doesn't happen by accident or it doesn't happen by default. And hopefully, you know if you've been here for any amount of time, because one of the other things that we talk a lot about is community, right? The, the social aspect of what we do. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about this. And community is a valuable thing. It's an important thing because God has not called a whole bunch of individuals to serve him and to follow him. But God has taken individuals and called them collectively to come together as, as his church universal, but as a local fellowship as well. And that we would be able to do this together. I want, to, I want to read one thing to you. And you don't have to turn there because this will be really quick, but Romans chapter 12. It says this, it says, So though we are many, we are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Think about that. We're members of one another. The Bible calls us to live in a way that we no longer live 
for ourselves, but that we would live for him who died for us. When you look at how Jesus lived, did did he live for himself? Absolutely not. He lived lived for others. He, He lived in obedience to his father. He lived in a way that he would say, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus didn't live for himself, and he calls us to live the same way. And it's the truth of the gospel that dictates what that looks like. It's the truth of the gospel that defines what that is. And so, how is it that we live? This third question, and and we have articulated a statement of of values that I just quickly want to go through that will define how we live. And maybe later we can unpack these in, in a greater degree, but I just want to make mention today. How do we live? Well, first off, we let the gospel shape our identity. If you're here today and you've come to faith in Christ, you have a former identity that that says that you were an enemy of God. You have a former identity that says you were on a path that led to death. And when the Bible talks about life and death, it's, it's more than, than what you and I think of. When we, when we think of death, we probably think, okay, lungs stop pumping, heart stops beating. When the Bible talks about death, it's talking about being separated from God for eternity, and the Bible calls that hell. When, the, when, when we think of life, we think probably, okay, lungs pumping, heart beating, but, but when the Bible talks about life, that it's, it's much more than that. It's an eternity with God. And so your identity, if you've not come to faith in Christ, is that you're dead. Or if you have come to faith in Christ, that used to be your identity. And now, because of the truth of the gospel, you have a new identity that says, I'm alive. I'm alive in Christ. Because of Christ, I've been able to bridge the gap from death to life. Right? Our, our, the natural order of our world doesn't work that way. Things don't go from death to life. Things are the opposite. They go from life to death. Everything is in a state of decay. And so part of just this, the, the counterintuitiveness of the gospel is that you can go from death to life, and that's part of the beauty of the gospel, is, is that it goes against the natural order of this world. The Bible says that we've been made a new creation, that the old has passed and that the new has come. That's your identity. That's your identity if you have come to faith in Christ. The second way that the gospel dictates how we live is that it inspires our worship. And when I say the word worship, you probably probably different people think different things, but I'm not I'm not talking about the music part of the service. The Bible tells us that we were created to worship unceasingly, and that, that that's how we live. But the question is, what direction is the worship of your life pointed? And Romans 1 tells us that the, the problem of humanity is that we direct our worship towards created things over and above the creator. That's, that's the problem of humanity. Paul tells us that. And so how is it that the gospel inspires our worship? The gospel inspires our worship because we acknowledge and we know that that God is the ultimate treasure and that an allegiance to Jesus as the one in whom we trust above all is the most important thing in life. We, We as humans have allegiance to a lot of things. Some of us our allegiance is to our careers. Some of us, our allegiance is to our families. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that those are bad things, so please don't hear me say that. But, but where we go wrong is when our allegiance to those things, those created things, those good gifts that God has given us become more important than the creator himself. And 
And so the gospel inspires our worship because it allows us and it reminds us to direct our worship towards the one who created all things, that we would worship the one who took me from death to life over and above any good gift that he might give me. The third way that the gospel dictates how we live is that the gospel creates a community centered around it. So gospel-centered community, and we've talked a lot about that in the last few years here and what that looks like. We, we, have a, we have a bond that brings us together as followers of Christ, and that, that bond is the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. And it's that bond and that truth that would allow us to spend any time together and that we would be able to have any semblance of unity, that we would be able to love one another in the midst of sometimes rubbing each other the wrong way. Jesus tells us that one of the marks of those who follow Christ, one of the marks of a community that's centered around the gospel is that the world will take note of how you love one another. And that they'll say that that's different. There's something different about that, that, that just, it doesn't happen outside of the church. And sadly, that doesn't always happen inside the church, but it should. The fourth way that the gospel dictates how we live is that we have a gospel-driven commission. Because of the gospel, because, because I've been changed by the gospel because you've been changed by the gospel, it would only make sense that you and I would act as messengers and carry the gospel to the rest of the world so other people can be changed by the gospel. It just makes sense. Think about when you, when you go to a restaurant that you really like, what do you do? You tell your friends about it. You have to go there. How much more, how much more is this? How much more should we be carrying the message of the gospel if we've truly been changed by Jesus, if the truth of the gospel has impacted us in such a way, how much more does it make sense that we would carry that message to the world so other people could be impacted by the truth of the gospel? And so, so these are four values which we, hold tightly to, and really they're kind of, you probably see a theme there. We, we value the gospel. We value the gospel, and these are four ways that the gospel dictates how we live. And the fourth question that, that we ask is, what is it that we believe? And this has led us to articulate a statement of faith that just dictates very specifically what it is that we believe. And so as Rory mentioned over the next few weeks, uh, we're, we're going to break this down into really three different chunks or three different sections uh, as we roll this out. And so the first section, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this today, is our basic beliefs. The other two sections that we're going to talk about in the, in the couple weeks following are theological distinctives uh, and biblical doctrine. And so our, our basic beliefs are going to cover the, just the basics of Christianity. Our theological distinctives are going to cover the things that kind of set us apart as a local fellowship to say, here are the things that we believe, here are the things that inspire our teaching, our preaching, our counseling, all of it. And biblical doctrine, that's going to be a little more uh, thorough where it's going to cover a lot of the things in greater detail that we've talked about in the basic beliefs and the theological distinctives. And so I, I hope that just in going through this, even today, if, if you haven't been here in the last couple, three weeks, I'm hoping that, that there's a picture that's being painted for you that, that you're excited about, that, that we are defining who we are, that we're defining how we live, we're defining what God has called of us we're defining who we are as a local fellowship. We're articulating the things that we're about so that we can ask you as members of the fellowship 
to engage in the mission. And it's not our mission that we would engage in the mission of God. And that we would be able to do that collectively, that we would be able to do that together. So I just want to quickly, uh, I kind of wrestled with really how to, how to go over these basic beliefs today because there's a lot of scripture that's with this and I didn't want to stand up here and, and throw 400 Bible verses at you and everybody trying to, trying to keep up and, and, and that kind of a thing. And so, so I kind of wrestled a little bit over the last couple of days with just exactly how, how to go through this and what would be the best way. And I think what I'm going to do is just kind of rapid fire uh, some bullet points at you uh, and then after... We've kind of outlined, here are the basics, and, and we say basic, but really these things are non-negotiable. These are the things that, as followers of Christ, hopefully anywhere and everywhere, whether it's this church or another church, that these are the things that anybody who's a follower of Christ would say, yes, this is, this is what Christianity is, are, are these things. And so I think I just want to give those to you. Uh, a little bit rapidly just to kind of give you an overview. And again, hopefully this will just paint a picture for you. And then once we've gone through these things, uh, rather than unpacking them one by one, is to take a look at these basic beliefs or foundational beliefs. Maybe that's a better word is to say that they're foundational. Um, to just unpack kind of a, an overview of the foundation. So let's just go through. There's, there's a handful here. So the first thing that we believe is that the scriptures are true that they're authoritative, and that they're sufficient. God has, has given us his word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by, by fallible men, but God in his sovereignty, God in his divinity has used fallible, fallible men to give us his word, and not only to give us his word, but to give us something that is Sufficient and something that is authoritative. You notice in our mission statement that we have the authoritative Christ-centered word. We don't look at the Bible as just a good idea. We don't look at the Bible as some pretty good suggestions. We, we look at the Bible and recognize that it has authority and that it's sufficient. In other words, it, the truth of, of what is in God's word is, is enough it's enough for us to live the life that he's called us to live. We don't, we have everything we need right here in God's word. The second thing that we would say is a non-negotiable that's a foundational is that there's only one true God and that he's the creator of heaven and earth and that he exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, one God, not not many gods, as some religions might have you believe, or other faiths might have you believe. One God, and that he is the creator, the creator of all things. And that he exists in perfect harmony and perfect unity in the three distinct persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The next thing is that all things exist for the glory of God, and we talk a lot about that here. So I probably shouldn't need to spend a bunch of time on that today. Uh, if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that, that we talk about this a lot, that everything exists for God's glory. Everything. God created all things, and he created all things so that he would be glorified. We have talked about that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we see these three things about God that he's given us the scriptures that are authoritative, true, and efficient, that there's one God, he's the creator of all things, and that all, all things exist for his glory. Then we move on to humanity, that all humanity Christ excluded is sinful by both birth and action. We see that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, back in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, how long did it take before sin entered the world? A chapter. That's it. 
God, God created. He created man. And man, mankind went his own way and rebelled against God. The next thing that we, that we see is that the deserved penalty for sin is physical and spiritual death. And we've already talked a little bit about death. But the Bible clearly tells us that the penalty for our sin is, is death. And if you're here today and you're not in Christ, if you've not come to Christ, you're, you're, you're dead already. It's not that you will one day die. It's that you're, you're dead that you're dead now. That's what the Bible teaches us. So we see that humanity, humanity is born sinful and that humanity is under the penalty of, the, of sin right out of the gate. Well, that's kind of a problem, isn't it? Not kind of, it is. It's a problem. But the next thing we see is that that Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. He was born of a virgin and is both fully God and fully human. And we could spend a lot of time talking about why that's important. And it's vitally, vitally important. But we begin to see uh, in this that, that Jesus is going to rescue us or make a way for us to be rescued from the penalty of sin and the beginning of that is that, that he's the son of God and that he was born of a virgin, that he wasn't born by human means. That he was born of a virgin by the plan of God, by God's redemptive plan that has been unfolding throughout history. And that Jesus came to this earth and he, he was fully God, but he was fully human. And the next thing, it tells us that Jesus Christ lived a life free of sin and in perfect obedience to God the Father. So Jesus came to earth and Philippians chapter 2 tells us that, that he didn't consider being equal with God something to be grasped. But that he came to earth as a human and he lived a life that you and I on our best day couldn't live. He lived a life of which you and I were completely and utterly incapable. So what? Why, why is that significant? The next thing goes on to tell us that Jesus Christ died as the sacrificial substitute to pay the penalty of our sin. And here's the other side of the coin of this coin is that not only did Jesus live the life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, but he suffered a penalty of which you and I were rightfully deserving. The perfect, the perfect man died the death of somebody who was imperfect. He lived how you and I couldn't live, and he died the way that you and I should die because of our sin, and that's part of the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus wasn't deserving, but he took on my sin and he took on your sin. And, and in trade, the Bible tells us that he gave us his righteousness. That's an incredible thing. Again, this is counterintuitive to how we live. You and, you and I would not make a trade of anything where, where we don't come out ahead. We just wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. It doesn't make sense. We don't live that way. But Jesus lived that way. Moving on, uh, Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and will one day physically return. Paul, Paul tells us that if the resurrection is not true, if it didn't happen, do you know what he says? He says that we, meaning Christians, that we are the most pitiable of all people. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, there is no one that is more pitied than those who have bought into the resurrection. There's no one more pitied anywhere than, than Christians 
who have staked everything on the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. Another part of just the counterintuitiveness of the gospel is that Jesus conquered death. And how did he do it? He conquered death by dying. Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense in our our finite thinking that that would be a way to conquer death. When your team loses and they walk off the field, nobody's saying, "We we really showed the other team, didn't we? It doesn't happen. Jesus beat death by dying. Conquered death by dying. Moving on, there will be a future physical resurrection of the dead. Only those who turn from sin into Jesus in faith and repentance will be raised to eternal reward. Those who do not turn from sin into Jesus will be raised to eternal punishment. This is this life and death thing that I talked about just a short while ago. And lastly, uh, only through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and repentance from sin can one be reconciled to God and experience true life and joy. How many of us want to live a life of joy? We would be foolish to say that we don't want that. I want joy. You, you want joy. And we spend our whole lives trying to find joy. We spend our whole lives chasing after whatever it is that makes us happy. And that may change from time to time. It may change from moment to moment. But we spend our lives chasing happiness, chasing joy. And scripture tells us that happiness and joy are found in one place and one place only. And that's in Jesus Christ. We, we read through the Bible and again, just the, because there's some things that are so counterintuitive to how we think, we, we read the Bible and think there's no way. Not, not only can I not do that, but even if I wanted to, I wouldn't and I don't even want to. And the Bible tells us that it's the only way that we can have joy is, is to buy in to the truth of the gospel, to follow Jesus and to live the way that he's called us to live, that if we're not reconciled to God, what's the end of our life? It's death. So what's the point? There's no greater joy that comes in life than to be able to stand here and say, I've come from death to life. I've been reconciled to God. And there's no greater joy, even in the midst of difficulty, to be able to say, not my will, but yours. I'm not going to stand up here and say that's an easy thing because it's not. But there's no, there's no greater joy in life. So all of those things comprise what we would say are our basic beliefs or our foundational beliefs. And really what those things are is the gospel. If we were going to articulate the gospel, it would be, it would be those things. And, and maybe you've noticed we value the gospel. It's in our value statement. The gospel dictates everything. Maybe you noticed in our mission statement that it's the gospel that defines who we are and how we live. And maybe you notice in our, mission, our vision statement that we exist for the sole purpose to proclaim and embody the gospel. So I hope you're seeing the gospel as a big deal. Nothing basic about it. It's, it's a big deal that it's everything. And so if we were just to succinctly take all of those things and answer a question, what is the gospel? It would be this, that the gospel is the life-changing good news of what Jesus Christ has done in order to reconcile unrighteous sinners to a holy God. Very succinctly, that's, that's the gospel. And so in this, there's kind of, here's an easy way, something I like, an easy way for me to remember to be able to articulate the gospel is just kind of four, four things quickly that maybe will encapsulate this in a, in a way that's a little bit easier for you to wrap your mind around. Because I don't think any of you are going to walk away from here 
remembering all of those things. Um, and, and just so you know, um, here when we go through our covenant in a few weeks, we're going to have all of this for you in, in a document. Uh, so if you walk away from your thinking, man, that's a lot to remember, that's okay. We're going to have a document that has all of these things uh, in it. So just know that that's coming. But maybe an easy way to articulate to remember the gospel this comes from a book called What is the Gospel? And maybe some of you have read it, but God, man, Christ, response. So God created, he's creator of all things. Mankind sinned and rebelled against God, idolizing created things over and above the creator. Jesus came to redeem, and it begs of us a response. How is it that you respond to the gospel? God created, man rebelled, Christ redeemed, and it begs a response from you and I. How is it that you respond to the gospel? Do you respond to the gospel by saying, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Or do you respond to the gospel by saying, I'm in. Do you respond to the gospel in faith, realizing that, that's me. I, I rebelled. I sinned. And Christ is the only one that can redeem. What, what is your response to the gospel? And, and I want to just kind of leave you hanging a little bit with that question today is, how is it that you respond to the gospel? And I want you to think about that for you as you walk out the door today and as you go about your afternoon. How is it that you respond to to the gospel because the gospel begs a response it begs a response and so coming back full circle and trying to, to tie all of this stuff together the gospel permeates everything the truth of the gospel permeates everything that we do and so as we're articulating these things as we are bringing definition to who we are as we're bringing clarity to what we're about know that it's the gospel that drives all of this. It's the gospel that informs all of this. And the question to you is not necessarily do you just want to be a member? Do you want to join? The, the question to you is are you going to respond to the gospel in such a way that you would allow it to permeate every facet of your life, that you would allow it to dictate every area of how you live. And if you respond affirmatively to that, here's why we have definition and clarity to say, here's what this looks like. Here's how this gets played out in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our jobs. Here's how it plays out. So I want to leave you with that today and, and just remind you to and encourage you to make a point to be here in the coming weeks because we're going to continue to unpack. We're going to continue to, to go through these things. We're going to continue to bring definition and clarity. And, and I know that there's probably lots of questions and we welcome the questions. We've had some really great conversations with people this week just trying to, to wrestle through this and that, that's good. But, but I think that you'll find if you can make a point to be here in the next few weeks, that a lot of those questions will get answered, that clarity will continue to come, and that in the end, that, that we just want to decisively and intentionally engage in the mission of God for our church. So let me pray for us. Johnny, you can come on up. And um, <clears throat> after I pray, Johnny's going to do one last song, and you guys can... Take communion as you're ready, and we'll go from there. So let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for today, and uh, God, thank you for your word. Uh, it, it doesn't even seem like enough to, to say thank you for those things, but God, we're just so grateful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us and that you've given us the person of Jesus Christ and that you've given us the authoritative Christ-centered word so that we can see you and so that we can know you. What an incredible thing that is. And so God, I just would be prayerful today that you 
uh, would allow us, God, to, to wrestle through some of these things in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you and in a way that's edifying to one another. Just be prayerful as we go today, God, that you would open up our minds and that you would give us great understanding and great clarity of what Scripture is saying to us. Your word even tells us that 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 requires the Holy Spirit in order for that to be such. And so, God, grant us the Holy Spirit so that we could understand who you are, so that we could understand what it is that you're calling us to. God, so that we could see you with greater clarity than we ever have before, that we can understand you with greater clarity than we ever have before. God, thank you so much for this fellowship of believers, this local fellowship, Calvary Chapel of Crook County here in Prineville, Oregon. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name.